I figured it was time for me to have a conversation with the family and see if I can, you know, become the next CEO at Gold Star. Uh, I had just left Buffalo Wings and Rings. Our current non-family CEO's contract was up. And so I began having conversations with folks. And uh, it didn't go well. Failing. 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 I know. When we talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure. But what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. And a blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. So I am thrilled to welcome Roger David, who is the CEO and president of not only Gold Star, but Tom and She, which when I was doing that research, the first thing that I asked myself was, how are you able to do both? And maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later, yeah. because those are two really, really big jobs. But welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah. Excited. So let's start out. Where where did you grow up? Um, siblings, oh, tell yeah. me a little bit of family background. So, um, born and raised in Cincinnati, um, went to Tur- Turpin High School. You know, you always have to ask I didn't the high know school that. question. Went to Turpin High School and um, went to the University of Cincinnati and then Xavier University for my MBA. Nice. And uh, But I've lived in Cincinnati, traveled a lot, but lived in Cincinnati my whole life. Okay. And yeah. how many siblings? I have two younger sisters. Okay. Uh, one of them is the first lady of Cincinnati, uh, Dina Cranley, married to John, our mayor. Okay. And I have a younger sister, uh, Lisa David, or actually Lisa Saya, right. who uh, is uh, married, uh, I don't know, maybe about three or four years ago and has a little baby. baby yeah. today. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Okay. Family heritage. My family, uh, my father and mother, are both from the country of Jordan and uh, grew up as Christian Arabs in Jordan. Okay. And I, uh, which I think the population is between two and three percent within the entire country of Christian mm-hmm. Arabs. Um, and then uh, my father came to the United States back in the early 60s and um, then went back overseas after working here for a little bit and got married and then brought my mother back and then had me in 1964. Um, And did his siblings come too? Yes, actually. It's a whole real kind of American dream immigration story for my family. My father and three of his brothers started Gold Star. And before they embarked upon that business, they had, um, you know, worked in a lot of different jobs. When my father first got here, he uh, would go to, he had an uncle here. That's how he ended up in Cincinnati. Okay. He would go to um, laundromats and would basically take the clothing that has not been claimed uh, over the last 12 months and go trying to sell the clothing door to door in order to try to make a living. And so uh, he, I don't think graduated from high school. he is one of 10 children, and my mother is also one of 10 children, and uh, just very poor, you know, and everything they have, they'd had to, they had to earn on their own. Um, and uh, I had another uncle that started Gold Star who was a gardener at Spring Grove Cemetery, and a couple other uh, uncles ended up going to school. Um, a lot of uh, the funds that were generated here in the United States would often be sent back to Jordan to take care of other family members as well. So mm. it was not an easy easy start to life, I would say, but very typical of the immigrant story. So how did they know, how did Gold Star come about? 
Well, uh, after multiple efforts at trying to buy a business, a few of them tried to buy a bar called the Happy Days Cafe. Um, there were a few other restaurants along the way that didn't work out. A lot of them had uh, alcohol as part of the equation, and uh, typically there would be a, a late-night bar fight or something, and it just was not family-friendly. And so it. they ended up getting out of a few of those businesses um, and uh, found a restaurant in Mount Washington called Hamburger Heaven. Okay. And Hamburger Heaven um, came with a recipe for Cincinnati-style chili. And so that was a lot more of a family-oriented kind of approach to the business. And um, at some point, they decided to drop the burgers okay. and change the name to Gold Star, which, by the way, the name Gold Star yeah. uh, actually came about because uh, in Jordan, my family worked in a lot of tobacco fields. And uh, the premium cigarette in the Middle East back then was called Gold Star. <laughs> really? actually where the name came from. So, oh, that's uh, interesting. Cool. Yeah, yeah so, that is cool. Um, How many brothers were involved? Your dad and who else? four brothers and four brothers total, including my dad, started Gold Star. Um, so. Okay. And so from a family business standpoint, you've got four brothers working in one business. Did they all mm -hmm. have like their own roles yeah. and responsibilities? And how does that work? And It's interesting. I actually went back recently and tried to put a little bit more of the timeline together. And um, at, there were always two to three brothers in the United States at that time because some of them would travel abroad. They would go back to, to Jordan. They might live there for three or four years, and then they would come back to the United States. Really? And so all four of them were – and maybe this was the secret to the, the whole thing. Success. Was that all four of them were never here trying to run the business at the same time. And so I had one uncle that was very much the accountant. I had another uncle that was very much sales. And my father and another, another uncle were more operational. And so um, they just – found a way not to step all over each other and and kind of make it work. Uh, okay, Roger, David does not sound very Jordanian. Right. Well, it's actually not, uh, nor is Roger, by the way. Right, right. Uh, well, but so, I mean, you know, yeah, I figured yeah, right. that they would Americanize because right. you weren't born here. Well, or you yeah. weren't born in Jordan. You were born here, right? Correct. I okay. mean, my father came to this country as uh, Bishara Shakir Daoud, and uh, passed away as Charlie David. And so um, I am Raja Daoud, and uh, my, you know, which Raja became Raj in third grade, and by fourth grade it became Roger, and it just kind of stuck. Um, and Daoud really is translated to David. Oh. And so some of my family um, stuck with Daoud, and now it's just pronounced Daoud. You know, so it got um, it got pronounced that way, and some folks went ahead and went through with the translation to David. Okay, I'm on the David side. <laughs> um, I never knew that. Yeah. So. Okay. All just right. Just to make life more complicated. Well, more fun, really. Yeah. yeah. All right. So take me through it. Take me through some history. Yeah. So um, those guys eventually got together and were able to kind of you know, buy this restaurant called Hamburger Heaven and, uh, you know, had some great growth that really tied back to immigration reform. So in the late 60s, I believe, um, the United States began uh, reforming their immigration policy and allowing other 
folks from other nationalities to come into the United States um, in, a, in, a, in a more um, controlled, however, broader in numbers. You know, you could have more people within your family come to the United States. And that really started to kind of trigger uh, kind of a domino effect for us. Um, franchising was just starting to explode. McDonald's was popping up everywhere. And um, the timing was just kind of perfect for us. Uh, and so my grandfather in Jordan was a um, what you a parliament member. So he was elected to represent his Christian village in the parliament. And so he knew a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And so when people would approach him and say, hey, my you know, family's looking for something and we're going to send a couple folks overseas, he would say, hey, you know, go to Cincinnati and look for my, look for my sons. They'll help you. And mm -hmm. so that really kind of sparked that whole movement and allowed Gold Star to grow to 120 locations very rapidly. And so really for us, uh, uh, not by design, which is interesting, just by default, we became the largest chili restaurant in Cincinnati uh, very quickly. And so I think our closest competitor was 70 locations to our 120. Okay. So that's kind of what propelled Gold Star kind of put us on the map um, was sheer number of outlets. Wow. Yes. All because somebody was basically helping somebody else out and saying, move to Cincinnati and my family will help you. Put, yeah. So a large portion of our franchise base were immigrants from the Middle East. And then we have, an, you know, I would say 40 percent or just the typical, you know, franchisee that approached us and was interested in opening up a restaurant. Um, I feel like I heard maybe a year ago was there was there like. Somebody from Jordan who was either like, is, is there a, a partnership between Cincinnati and a city in Jordan now, like a sister city? I know city? the the mayor. Um, I was going to say the mayor. Yeah, the mayor of, of Amman, which is the capital of Jordan, spent some time here in Cincinnati. Did Mayor Cranley bring mayor that Cranley over? Mayor also of... visited um, with him over there as well. Okay. And uh, and I think they've, they're creating a lot of, you know, dialogue between the two. But yes, you're correct. I think there is, um, Amman is now a sister city. Is, uh, to Cincinnati, which is really kind of cool for that us. That is very yeah. cool. Yeah. And it's because of your family. Yeah, well, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to take a little bit of credit yeah. for that. But, uh, but there are, you know, uh, many folks out there that are fans of, of that. So, Can I ask you your, your um, take on immigration laws mm -hmm. right now? And this, I mean, this is kind of a different turn, and we'll go back to the other, but I am really curious what you think, because your yeah. family benefited from basically that policy change, right, of immigration. We certainly did. And, you know, and still to this day, you know, I, I, I'm speaking of it from Jordan's perspective how, and my family's perspective, but to this day, um, Greek immigrants, uh, you know, they're the largest restaurant owners in the United States today. And it's it's still the case. And so uh, immigrants have been a fabric of our society for a very long time. And, and I think, you know, a lot of the division that's happening today, for me, uh, conflicts with the values of this country and what makes it so great. And so um, I think when fear gets the best of you, mm -hmm. you you start to shut down and you become very insular. And and 
and you know the older we get you know the the you know the kind of the more close-minded sometimes we get yes. and i think that that's very concerning to me and so uh what have you, you know, been teaching your kids about this well, one is traveling for us. We're fortunate enough to be able to travel, and I think traveling really kind of opens your mind. And um, my children have done, you know, a lot of um, kind of mission trips in different countries, and we try to travel with them as as well. And they and they realize that when you boil it all down, we're more of the same than we are different. And uh, and I think today, you know, immigration um, topics are discussed primarily for safety people are concerned for their safety and i think it's a it's an unwarranted fear when you really look deeper into the issue yeah and i think there's much more to gain than there is to um to be fearful of what what do you think your dad or your grandfather would say if they were living right now around that topic uh that's a good question you know um you know, it's it would be difficult for them not to take it personally, yeah. I think. I think as for many immigrants, especially first-generation immigrants. You know, I was born in the United States, and so I can relate to it, but I, I've never been in that situation where um, for them there was no opportunity where they were. They came here for economic opportunity and to contribute back to society. And I think they would say very confidently they feel like they've established something that certainly is contributing back to society and employing, you know, thousands of people. And so um, I would also think they would say that, you know, nobody wants any kind of freeloading to take place. You know, the system's got to work. If you give to it, it will give back. You can't just take from it. And so it's about finding that balance. And uh, I think it's a complicated issue, but so much of the conversation is around fear, fear today. And it's, yeah. I think we and have not to elevate those the conversation. Come yeah. And are really giving back. Yeah. 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 I think we have to elevate it. Um, when, when your dad and his brothers moved here, were they looked at differently because they were an immigrant? Or back then it wasn't a big deal? No, it was a big deal. It was. It was a big deal. And then if you remember, too, you had all of the oil crises that took place in the late 70s and right. um, and pointing the finger at, at Arabs. And and for the United States, you know, an Arab is an Arab is an Arab. You mm-hmm. know, there are 22 Arabic countries. You know, they're very different between one to the other. Yeah. But yet, you know, you get kind of, uh, you know, uh, you know, I guess stereotyped totally. a certain way yeah. regardless of that. So uh, I, th- I don't think they would have been um, – you know, uh, which is why, you know, they tried to assimilate and why people change their names. Their last and, names. You know, and try to become a little bit um, more a part of society. Uh, so they really, you know, if you think about immigrants being successful in the United States, and there are many of them that have been successful, um, they had a lot, you know, uh, they had to swim against the current in so many ways. And so uh, it's really, I think, a... Um, it's kind of a nice tribute to who we are as a nation to to see immigrants flourish as well as Americans flourish. So, so your dad passed away early on, yeah, right? So yeah. how old were you? So um, I was 17 when my father passed away. He was only 56, and he passed away from a heart attack, a sudden heart attack. Okay. And, um, and so I— you know, which was very 
traumatic for us. You know, we we had a very traditional family. You know, my mom was at mom home. Mom was at home, at home um, worked at home. And, and yeah. actually, you know, you asked me how many siblings uh, I had earlier, but um, I actually had a brother who passed away from leukemia when he was 12, okay. a year before my father passed away. Oh, my God. Your and poor so mom. That, yeah, so she really, you know, went through a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, I think my father experiencing my brother's passing really weighed heavily on him as well. And so, um, you know, I kind of, you know, I'm the oldest in my family. So and, and you're and the male. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of like rock star status and, and some. And you know, a lot so. of pressure. <laughs> well, I, uh, and so it was, it was, you know, when you're, when your father passes away and you're young um, and, you know, he was kind of what everything centered around, you know, uh, you know, you kind of feel like you've, you've lost your underpinning, you yeah. know, and there's really, uh, you know, you know, my uncles, I think at that time really kind of came together and provided a lot of comfort to our family. Uh, and we all kind of lived in the same neighborhood as well, which kind of made it nice. Yeah. But, um, it was really kind of, it was difficult, it was a difficult time, you know. And so my brother passed away, and then the following year my father passed away. Um, so I ended up going to the University of Cincinnati versus maybe going out of town for to school. Yeah. And um, lived at home that first year, and then, you know, ended up going down and living on campus for the remainder of my term there. And... Um, my sister uh, also was at the University of Cincinnati, and uh, and so uh, you know it was it was tough. But you know, uh, I'm always Im impressed with how much uh, we can take mm -hmm. and 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 persevere. You know, in those in those situations, you know, the human spirit's pretty amazing. So, your dad passes away. Your uncle's continue to run the business mm -hmm. i'm sure they like like you said were high big support for your mom and for you guys yeah and then you go to college and then what so i end up working at the family business so i ended up working um i did a little uh internship with them uh, of course didn't get paid but uh <laughs> did a little internship with them and uh um they ended up hiring me uh, into the marketing department, and then uh, I spent about ten years at Gold Star. Okay, uh, you know, in the meantime, I had gotten married and had my first child, and um, went back to I went back to school, uh, got my MBA from Xavier, and then decided to come back to the you know family and tell them that I wanted to go do something else. At that time, the whole dot com wave was taking place. Yes, and uh, I had to kind of get the courage to tell my mother, who was really leaning upon me as kind of representing our family at our family business, right. to uh, kind of say, "Hey, look, I'm going to go do something else for a while," and um, and so. Uh, had that conversation and made that decision, and I took off. And how, what was her response? Well, uh, I think she kept saying, well, if that's what's going to make you happy, if that's what's going to make you happy. But 
she also would remind me, this is your father's business. How, you know, why do you want to leave it? Why do you want to leave it? So typical, like, you know, supportive guilt. Right, totally. (laughs) Yeah. Can do it. Supportive guilt. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so um, ended up leaving. uh, And uh, 18 months later to I think 24 months later, perhaps I was out of work because the whole thing started just crashed. Right. And I just now had my second child and way too much pride to go back to Gold Star and knocking on the Where door. Where are you living? And so I was living in Mount Lookout at the time. Okay. You're still in Cincinnati. You just went to work yeah. for a different place. I didn't know if you like, right. moved out yeah. west or east. Okay. No, we stayed here. Okay. And um, so, you know, so now I'm unemployed and now I'm trying to find – you know, a job here in Cincinnati, and and uh, I'm certainly not going back because you know, just that would be, that would be too much. And uh, so I got lucky enough to um, get a job at uh, Lipson Outport Glass and Associates, which was a brand design and uh, firm and a consultancy. Okay. And uh, in order to get that job, I had to convince the potential client which was Lowe's Home Improvement, to accept me. Um, and uh, and then, you know, the firm would hire me. So I, the client really had to really? approve my hiring, which was That's interesting. Unique. Yeah. Um, and so I, uh, so they sent them my resume. Well, my resume is Gold Star and some dot-com thing that, that, you know, didn't last very long. Right. And they didn't really understand that. And so they called me back and said, hey, look, you know, it didn't go very well. And I said, uh, well, you know, how did you how you explain it? Did you, you have a chance to set it up? You know, what, yeah. you know? and uh, I said, you know, what if I got on a plane, came down there, and met the client? Because I know I can contribute to their success. I'm confident. I'll buy the plane ticket, give me a chance to get in front of them and kind of sell myself. And uh, they said, well, that's kind of unusual. We really don't do that. And I said, we, you know, can you at least see? Give me the chance. Give me the shot. And they did. And so I hopped on a plane. And, of uh, course, you rocked down, it. <laughs> flew down to North Carolina, sat in front of the client. We had a great conversation. And then uh, I got back on a plane and came back. And uh, I found out the following day that that – it was it was going to be a go, and so I spent eight years doing that, okay. which was fantastic. By the way, I had a what did you fabulous need? So, what experience. did you need to learn there mm-hmm. to go back to Gold Star? What I learned there was uh, the power of design and the power of creativity, and that um, sometimes the worst thing you can do to a designer yeah. is give them a white sheet of paper. They need structure and framework to to work within. And that was very important to me because uh, I was on the consulting side and I would often approach the design team with a little bit a looser perspective to allow their creativity to kind of flow. And it just wasn't getting the job done. So how, how do you apply that with Gold Star now so or since then? Today, it's really just I, I think I have a much more elevated sense for design, much more elevated sense for just the the presentation of information. Yes. Um, and uh, and that's really where I learned a lot of the strategic thinking that goes into building strong brands and uh, and having to tell that brand story. And so that's really what we're doing at Gold Star. You know, we're kind of 
uh, redefining the chili experience. And it's got to touch all of those those elements. Uh, and so it's been it's been a fun uh, exercise to be able to you know take everything you've kind of learned and actually put it in practice. The frustrating thing about being on the consulting side was that you know, you could only take it so far and you can make the recommendation and the rest was really up to the client yeah. to execute. Well, here, you know, I get to help build the strategy and execute the strategy and, and watch it kind of uh, come together, which is a lot harder to do, by the way. <laughs> a lot harder. Yeah. yeah. So. so, okay, so you leave there and then where do you go next? So, um, do you go... I, am, I read your LinkedIn. Yeah, well, I'm sure you did. Of course You're I did. Very, yeah, very I did my research. Diligent. Yes. Um, so I left uh, Lipson Outport Glass and Associates, which was Laga, which eventually became Brand Image. Um, left there and became the CEO at Buffalo Wings and. Rings. That's right. Right. Yeah, which was a uh, turnaround opportunity. Local, local uh, chain. Okay, but that's yeah. such a big leap. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, do you know I, what I mean? Or in yeah. your head, were you like, you know what, long term, I want to become CEO of Gold Star yeah. or something, CEO of something that like how? Yeah, yeah. it's it is a uh, so a couple things. One is sometimes it's just dumb luck, but um, one one thing that they needed was yes. somebody that understood the restaurant industry. And so I spent 10 years at Gold Star uh, within the franchising space. So I kind of knew that. I also was working with Lowe's Home Improvement, which is a retail brand. And so okay. there was some retail connectivity there. And, you know, I'm a, I believe that, you know, people build retail brands and not marketing campaigns. So, you, so it's got to really be ingrained in who they are. And so there's a whole brand culture um, that needs to be fostered. And so I did a little short consulting gig with Buffalo Wings and Rings, and they told me at the time they were seeking a CEO. And uh, when I kind of evaluated what they were doing from a brand standpoint, it was clear to me that, you know, they were kind of going down kind of the Me Too path or, yeah. you know, if those who love Blue Ocean, they were in the Red Ocean. Yeah, yes, <laughs> and yes. So, and you don't mean Me Too from uh, the women's standpoint. No, I do not. Right. I mean the Buffalo met... Wild Wings Me Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you for clarifying <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. And, so, yeah. and the Blue Ocean, I know what Blue Ocean is, yeah. but maybe just describe. So Red Ocean is what everybody else does. Blue Ocean yeah. were those brands who... Um, were unique and had differentiators. And, exactly. Yeah. Made they the, were disruptors or whatever. Disruptors and, and made the competition irrelevant. Yeah, and like so, Southwest Airlines or yeah. something like that. Okay. So um, from that standpoint, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings, which is a thousand plus units, very successful company, uh, publicly traded, um, is very masculine in their delivery, you know. And so we were creating what we would call more of a, family-focused, female-friendly offering okay. um, because that space has a lot of appeal, you know, around sports and there's a lot of content. And so, you know, that's what we did. And we were able to take the experiences uh, that I had at, uh, at uh, Laga around brand building and uh, apply it to that organization. And, and it was that consulting project that kind of opened up yeah. the door. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then I got to know the folks and next thing you know, I was I was in there and I spent 5 years there and I had a great time there and 
uh, really enjoyed my time there, and we really made a difference. And so still to this day, they're executing the same strategy and and are, uh, are having, I think, uh, unit um, sales have tripled from the time that I was there. So wow. You should feel fun. good about yeah. that. I do. I really do. I, you know, I really put... I really put everything I had. You know, your first CEO gig, you're kind of like you're all in and you're working your tail you know, nonstop. And it's really a, a reflection of, you know, proving to yourself as well as others that, you know, hey, this, I can do this, you know. Yeah. Um, which is really interesting because then I left there and um, the CEO at Gold Star, his contract was up. And, you know, for the first 25 years at Gold Star, it was family run. And the next 25 years, it was non-family run, right? So um, I figured it was time for me to have a conversation with the family and see if I can, you know, become the next CEO at Gold Star. Uh, I had just left Buffalo Wings and Rings. Our current non-family CEO's contract was up. And so I began having conversations with folks. And uh, it didn't go well. They really? did not. They were very concerned about having a family member come in as the CEO of the company. Um, they didn't know, um, you know, kind of how that would play out between all the family members. And, you know, we have some franchisees that are family members. And, you know, uh, it was just concerning to them to, to kind of go down that path. And so I talked to one of them and I was in and then I talked to the next one. I was out and then a week would go by and I thought that I was out and then they'd call me and I was back in the mix. And it was just, you know, I think they vetted me pretty well. They actually got to a point where, you know, I had to, I wrote like a five page plan to say, Hey, here's what I think needs to happen. Um, they talked to some of my references. I gave them my resume you know, I really had to kind of fight for you it. You had to apply just well. like everybody yeah. else. Yeah, and and I, I kind of fought for it a little bit, and, um, and so they were. They finally said, "Okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna roll the dice with you." And uh, did you ever doubt that it was the right move, or no? N- no, I knew I, I had been a board member since my father passed away. Okay, so I've been I'd been close to the company. Um. And I could, you know, the Buffalo Wings and Rings experience helped me a lot. And I could more clearly see kind of a path, you know. And um, and so they've been absolutely fabulous, by the way. I've been there for four years now. I've got another five years ahead of me. Um, and uh, the family has been extremely supportive of everything that I've been doing. We've had no conflict. It's really been it's been a good um, it's been a good relationship to date, and uh, which is great because you know the last thing you know I still have to have Thanksgiving dinner with all these folks, right? right totally. You, know, so, I mean, you have to go to weddings, I have to go and to funerals, weddings, I have to do all of those and, things, yeah. and so um, I'm kind of proud of that. Actually, that 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 worked out really well. But it's interesting though, from the Buffalo Wings and Rings days as the CEO. And then at the Gold Star days as a CEO, you know, if you were to say, you know, they were different in the sense that I learned from the first run around to to kind of do things a little bit differently. And some of those things are really, you know, when you're a small business, everything you do as the leader is setting the tone and the culture. Well, as you get bigger, you can't be everywhere. So then you have to kind of figure out how do I infuse this, this set of values and this certain um, personality of the organization 
that is beyond my own. So right? how did you do that? By so hiring the right people? It, or? It, it, it's what it comes down to. But the bottom line is ensuring that you've got the right team in place. But still to this day, even at, at Gold Star, which is a larger organization, you, you're you still setting the tone. You know, you have leaders that are, are kind of setting the tone. And, and what I've learned is I'm more of a visionary leader. And so when I kind of am talking to folks, it's about getting energized about what's to come and down the road here. And, and I realize that other team members have to share in that, yes. but they have to be more on the execution side. And so there's an r- interesting dynamic between the, the visionary and and the integrator, the the person who can really kind of get stuff done, you know. So holding others accountable, you know. And so, um, so I in the past was more of the visionary, and mm-hmm. then in this new role, I am more of the integrator. Yeah. Which I think God has given me that opportunity so that I can practice both skill sets. Yeah. yeah. Um. But it's interesting because when I see the when I'm with the person who has more of that visionary role and they're like, we need to do this and this and this and this and this. I'm thinking through my head all the steps that it's going to take to get there. Mm -hmm. And I'm sometimes envious that I can't be that visionary person right (laughs) Right. now. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because I got to make sure that the trains are running on time. Yeah. So, in th- you know, in theory, my uncles and my father were the visionaries and they created this business. So th- my uncle Bashir, who was on the team, was very much an integrator. I mean, he was the one that was in the details, kind of getting some stuff done. I think there, ex- you know, the expectation for me is to wear both hats, but you, everybody has a natural tendency to lean one way or the other. And so <clears throat> I have to find ways and tools to help ensure that you know, accountability is kind of taking place. Um, so, you know, one of the th- the things that um, was a a surprise for me yeah. is that uh, by becoming the CEO at Gold Star, I've gotten I've had the opportunity to get to know my uh, fellow shareholders and my uncle Frank. Uh, in a much different way. Like how? And uh, just closer. You know, you would think we were close, but... But you, you, like, you don't feel the pressure that you have to be the perfect CEO? Like, can you share with him worries or questions or concerns? You know, because you get closer with somebody when you're vulnerable around them, right? Yes, I think so. And I think, you know, I'm very transparent, and I think I am very... I'm not selling... You know, I'm selling to the degree to a degree, but at the same time, it's about saying, "Here's what I think's going to happen, but this could also happen as well." But I, this is why I think this more favorable outcome is going to take place. Yes, and that is showing that you're not always 100 percent, and it, and and that you know we hope that it's going to go this way and as long as you're included in the conversation you can see that yeah. and it just it just brought us closer together and it was really unexpected and uh and just warms my heart obviously since yeah you know um you know since my father's not around yeah it gets a little bit you know you no matter how old you are you want to please oh and i failed to mention as well which you know, uh, my mother had passed has passed away about four years ago, and so she she that's really a, didn't get to see. That's the same time my me. mom 
too. Oh yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I that think, is around. That is yeah. around the same time as my mom. Then and so um, she didn't get to. My s- mother, I don't didn't get to see uh, you know a lot, you know, yeah. but but uh, your uncle, but my is. father as well. So now my uncle, you know, so I feel this like connectivity to him in a in a in a really warm way that was very unexpected, and. Uh, and, you is know, he fatherly and I know he's to proud. you? Like, is he like uh, a little bit? But yeah. So not, my aunts yeah. now, my, both my parents are deceased yeah. too. But my mom's sisters and my uncle too, my mom's brother, are very. They take care of me, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. and when I'm with them, sometimes I love it because it's a great reminder of her. Yes, yeah, yeah. but I it does make me sad. It makes me yeah. miss her. Yeah, a lot. It's it's um, no matter how old you get, you are always still trying to please. Yeah, you know your your parents. Yeah. It's kind of this, you want them to never, be proud. Never get, you want them to be proud, right? Yeah. And so when they're not with you and you're having success, and you know you're having these you know milestones that take place in your life, both personally and professionally, um, you know. You still have you're still seeking a little bit of that, and and if you're fortunate enough to have family that's close to you and that they can kind of feed that, um, I think that's great. And so for me, the unexpected piece was, you know, I think through this, I'm able to feel that sense of pride, and um, uh, and they've been wonderful in expressing it to me, yeah. and that for me, I mean, that's worth. Everything, Everything. You know, it's so fulfilling, you know. I love that. What else? Tell me more. Oh, wow. Um, My father never really wanted me to work in the family business. Why? Which is interesting because I think he saw it as, you know, he was able to accomplish that without, you know, a formal education and without, you know, opportunities that perhaps I would have laid out in front of me you know we were very fortunate and um and so i think he always thought it would be it would be different we always have you know i think everybody goes through this but immigrants really go through this yeah you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer totally 100 <laughs> percent. yeah i don't know if that's just everybody or is that just <laughs> i mean i'm not just, from immigrants but i've heard that before right, yeah. yeah it's like it's funny and so that that was those were the only two buckets you know and yeah. so you know if you didn't fall into one of those things but um, I think it was always about trying to do something else. But he also said, if you're going to push a broom, push a broom for yourself. And so mm. I think that that is, uh, you know, is interesting in the sense that kind of speaks to his entrepreneurial spirit. I love that. Do you think he, do you think he didn't have personal pride around what he was doing? And so... The doctor and the lawyer was he, abo- was better, was above that? I think, you know, I think from a status standpoint, perhaps. Yeah. You know, and I think because he was able to achieve what he achieved without all of a formal education. And, yeah. you know, a formal, edu- you know, education is huge. And, you know, and so um, maybe he thought that bar was going to be too low, you know. And so, um, you know, it's... It's interesting, but I think he would be <clears throat> absolutely floored as to, to kind of see the company today and where it is. And, um, you know, and so he was able to experience some of that success, you know, uh, early on and, and feel good about it and helping people, 
you know, putting people in business, you know, is very rewarding from right. a franchising standpoint. You know, you're really helping people start a business and and start their life and create their way. own. Yeah, and create their own. And so it's that in itself is it can be very rewarding. What do you know now mm-hmm. about leadership that you didn't know when you were at Wings and Rings? I um. I'll even go beyond wings and rings. Yeah. You know, I think of some things that, that I've been slow to learn is um, that I wish I would have taken a different approach even when I was just out of college. Uh, get to know people and network and and work it. You know, uh, be visible. Yeah. You know? I think having your own family business kind of – you know, almost makes you – one, it gave me a tremendous amount of confidence. Right. Okay. But it also made me a little bit just self-dependent because well, I had this thing over here. Right. But in reality, you realize you can't get anything done without, without, without others. other people. And you're going to be – your odds of success by just talking to people and networking with people and – Getting to know people. When did Not you only, learn that? I'm learning it now. Really? Yeah. It's just crazy to me. You know, I think um, I pass that on to my kids. But, you know, when I say now, I think I'm learning it, you know, over the last 10 years. It's just I reflect back on it. And I'm like, wow, I, I just didn't I didn't put enough effort into it. I just didn't. And, um, and I don't know why except to say that maybe I didn't feel I needed to. And... That for me is just, I don't care who you are, how successful you are, what you have, um, your ability to connect with people and network, and you're just going to get further faster. How did you, what what was your aha from this? Was there a one moment Hmm. or it's just over time? I think it's just over time. You know, you just realize, you know, um, through the chamber, I'm on a CEO roundtable and I've been doing that, I want to say for about. Oh, six years now. And so that has really kind of opened my eyes to just the diversity of thought around a topic, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, uh, you know, we're involved with the Gehring Center as well. And so um, that has really kind of, you know, brought more perspective to running a family business. And, you know, it's just one of those things that just takes some discipline and yeah. and and you have to do it. I think the other thing too for me is you know um I can get very excited and I can be very passionate about things and uh and passionate for change and disruptive change and brand transformation and I get all jazzed up about all of that and um and I can start running you know and it's like, come on, you know, keep up with me. Let's yeah. go, right? But if you run too fast and your team's not a part of that change with you, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna fail, and you're not going to be successful in turning a company around or impacting culture the way you want to impact it. And so, um, I think with with when I came into Gold Star, I took it a, a much slower approach. And I started having conversations with some of the franchisees that have been there a long time and conversations with my uncles to really get centered around values. I needed mm-hmm. four values that we need to get really 
focused around and start to build the brand around. Yes. Because, and they needed to be embedded in who we are as a family. They couldn't just be, you know, uh, choiceful words that were hot today. Um, they needed to be things that we really believed in. And, and we went all the way back in conversation to my uncle, who was a parliament member. And I said, okay, what do you think his values were? If we're going to walk into walk in his shoes, how would he view things? And that was my way of getting my uncles on board yes. with what the strategy at Gold Star was going to be and the tone of the culture that we were going to start feeding that we should have been feeding all along, but it just was never, it was it was buried within the culture, but it was never promoted, celebrated, taught, shared, talked about. So what's been the output from that, like the successes from the values piece? So um, we have been able to, um, one, align all of us around those four, around our four values, and then it becomes the way we hire. It becomes the way we evaluate our employees. And equally as important, it becomes the way that we engage with our franchisees. You know, Gold Star has never had one ounce of litigation between franchisor and franchisee. And in the franchising business, that's kind of unheard Rare. of. And so uh, it, it, it stems from that bond and that relationship around those values. And so... Um, it's been it's really been nice because it was an alignment tool for the shareholders, an alignment tool for our staff, yes. and then an alignment tool with our franchise community. I was also thinking you mentioned earlier how you realized that you couldn't be everywhere, yeah. and so those val being clear on those values, yeah. that's even when you're gone, right? Those values should still be there, guiding, yeah. Absolutely. And so that it, it comes down to, you know, the training and the hiring and the orientation around all of that and ensuring that we live it and empowering everybody to even call me out on it when we don't feel like, you know, like if I'm even brushing up against violating something that they have the uh, the level of comfort to be able to go, hey, wait a minute, though, you know, if we're going to kind of base this decision off of integrity, then you know, uh, this is what we should do. The path becomes clearer. So it's been it's been great. It's worked well for us. And I would advise you don't want more than three or four okay. values to kind of rally around. And then my last question is, if we and you don't have to answer it, but is there any anything you want to share that humbled you or brought you to your knees that you think would be important to share? And what did you learn? <laughs> I think getting uh, getting laid off. When did you get laid off? Well, with that whole dot-com thing. Oh, right. I mean, I'm just fresh out of graduate school and then, you know, thinking you can conquer the world and you leave your family business and next thing you know, you're unemployed. Yeah. For me, that was the first step outside of the family business, right? And what I did learn is you can double your compensation if you're a family member working for the family <laughs> business. <laughs> uh but, but also, well, you know what's interesting? don't you think, you know? <laughs> though, if that hadn't happened, maybe you wouldn't have been open to going back later on into no the No question about business. it. No question about it. Anybody that is in a family business today that was born and raised in it and is still working in it, yes. you have no idea how much faster you're going to learn by leaving it 
and then coming back to it and contributing to it in a whole different way. Two things for me. One is um, you become less emotional about the business and it becomes more the business. And the second thing is you like you're detached from it. Like you're a little you, more you don't, detached. Your ego isn't as it's, involved. It's very yeah, – it's not defining of you and your family as much as it is a business you're running. Right. Right? And then the, the, the second piece of that I think is, that's really important for he, people to hear. Yeah. That it's – a business you're running. It's to me. You took out the emotional piece of it, and you went to the logical piece. Right. Because right. we need both. But I think if we focus too much in the emotional, it can cloud g- good judgment. I think if I if um, I did not leave and did not and and I, I would have not been given the opportunity to come back. Interesting. I would not have been given the opportunity. Not actually, given not the to opportunity come back, to be the CEO. Not to be the CEO. Yeah. To be the CEO. Because, you know, my view of the world was the same view everybody else had in that building that was right. a shareholder. And so to go away for 15 years and then come back with that level of experience and, uh, and you know, and having had some success at Buffalo Wings and Rings within the space really kind of, I think, kind of paved my way. I feel extremely lucky as I speak with you about kind of my journey. Uh, But leaving the family business was probably um, one of the best decisions I'd ever made, as well as getting my MBA, because that opened your eyes tremendously. Uh, And I did it after I'd had about seven years of work experience. So you're able to kind of really, you know, apply real situations to what you were learning. Can I can I rewind for a second? You said I feel really grateful. Um have you always had a lot of gratitude? Like you know how some people don't focus on gratitude or aren't grateful for things, but like when you said that I you like lit up when you said that. Are you typically a very high gratitude person? You know I'm fifty plus now and so you kind of view the world differently. I think when I was younger I was just like a, a bull in a china closet. It was about Let's go. Let's go. Let's yeah. get stuff done. Let's, yeah. you know, let's be successful, make money, you know, just like maybe a lot of other people are, you know, at, at that age. And as you get older, you know, it sounds so cliche about the journey, but it is about the journey. And then what I loved and I really kind of valued at Buffalo Wings and Rings was that, you know, I felt like I was developing people around me and kind of raising the bar and they were rising to the occasion and 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 when you're in a leadership position and you can impact people's lives like that that's the most rewarding thing and yeah. you're not going to see that on any kind of key metric scorecard no way but that's what keeps you going that's what gets me to spring out of bed and so um yeah i would say today i'm very grateful for my journey and the opportunities that i've had i'm blessed Perfect. Roger, loved that ending around gratitude. I think that's a really good learning lesson for so many people because it is about the journey, not just about the destination. So thanks for being here today. Well, thank you for having me. I've absolutely loved it. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, Anna Bolke, our producer, and the incredible team at Gwyn Sound. If you liked this episode, please, please go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and write a review. 